Progressive presents Forest Metaphors about bundling your home and auto. In sports, three goals is a hat trick. And when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, you get a hat trick of great savings and round-the-clock protection. So you might be thinking, wait, that's two things. A hat trick is three. But in this metaphor, great savings counts as two goals and so does round-the-clock protection. So it's like four goals and that's more than three. It's basic math. Forest Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. Hi, I'm Flo from Progressive. Being a baseball fanatic like me can be stressful. It's not all sports points and touchdowns. So Progressive is going to help you take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how they missed that goal point score, think about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive letting you choose coverage options based on your budget. Unlike your team that missed the end zone net area. Well, anyway, hope this distraction about Progressive's Name Your Price tool was helpful. It sure kept me from thinking about all those penalty balls. Yay, sports! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome to a new week here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And I am your host, your guide, as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the Exxon. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the Exxon comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until four uh, until 2 a.m. Eastern right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network and on... Simul TV Channel 21. If you'd like to send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, exxon radio TV. And if you'd like to um, find out about the programming we have available for you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net. On, and for the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV, www.simultv.com, Channel 21. Our guest this hour, Exxon Nation, is Brian Sentez, and he is a scholar and a poet based in Montreal, Quebec. With Susan Palmer, he published a well-received, widely published, and widely taught study of flying saucer religions, the most recent version of which is included in the Cambrian Companion to New Religious Movements. And joining me now from the most beautiful city in the world, Montreal, Quebec, is Brian Sentez. And Brian, welcome to the Exxon. Hello. Good to be here. Nice having you with us. Um, what got you involved into the UFO phenomenon? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think maybe it's like a lot of people, as, as a boy, mm-hmm. of course, I, I read a lot of the UFO books. Um, I remember actually as a school, we were taken to see Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Oh, yeah. And I remember being glad about how they actually had uh, J. Allen Hynek in the climactic scene at the end. Mm-hmm. I recognized him. And... Um, I was nice to sort of see how the aliens were based on the real uh, reports. That was just before high school. And in high school, things sort of faded for a while. But back in the early 90s, uh, when uh, alien abductions were sort of making the news, mm-hmm. uh, at the time when the Human Genome Project, human cloning, in vitro fertilization were making the news, um, it kind of struck me that the women who were giving the stories of alien abduction under uh, hypnosis usually... Right. We're actually giving more of a a dream narrative Mm -hmm. that expressed the sort of anxieties and and aspirations um, around this new technology. And uh, from there, it just occurred to me that, you know, the stories about UFOs and ETs is kind of a a collective dream, if you will, 
um, of the anxieties and aspirations of our technological society. So it struck me, you know, like Saul on the road to Damascus in a flash in the early 90s. And uh, I've been sort of, uh, I dived back into it then, uh, delivered that paper that you mentioned at the beginning, back right. in 2000. Mm -hmm. And I've been working in the field ever since. Now, uh, I'm sure a lot of people, uh, you know, when we talk about UFO religions, there's Heaven's Gate. And of course, uh, here in Canada, there's also the International Realian Movement. Why do you think these two... UFO-based religions, you know, took off so much. And why do, you know, the aliens, they still have a worldwide following. Why are they still able to attract followers? Well, you know, that's the argument of the paper we delivered. Mm -hmm. And uh, as, as, as weird and far out and marginal as the Raelian belief system is, yeah. um, at the end of the day, it's perfectly in harmony with the values and the worldview at the very center of our civilization. Because what they do is they value science above all. Mm -hmm. They see technology as ultimately solving all of the problems that technology leads to. And their worldview is one which is purely imminent. There's no more uh, supernatural realm. There's no more transcendent realm. Everything happens within nature, um, which is true in its own weird way in the New Age, where there's different sort of levels of uh, vibratory energy. I think there's 14 of them. Um, so that's, that would be the main reason. As well, they're a, a fun-loving bunch. Um, <laughs> I don't know how much you know about the Raelians, uh, but they place a great value on sexual freedom. Yeah, they certainly so I, do. I, yeah, I, I don't doubt that's a selling point. Um, how many different UFO-based religions are there? Oh, that's a good question. Um, there are, I could probably, there's the Raelians, there's mm -hmm. Unarius, there's a Sirius, there's the I Am... These are the ones I know, of course, Heaven's right. Gate, as you mentioned. Yeah. There's the Ashtar Command. So there's sort of these sort of uh, channeling groups. And there, there are many others um, that are very, very small. Um, and then with the advent of the Internet, a lot of them have been sort of had more of a digital profile right. than a, a physical profile. Um, so in terms of like strictly flying saucer religions, mm -hmm. that's a good question. There's, there's, there's at least a dozen, probably more. Uh, but my research has sort of focused more on the UFO phenomenon in general than the very, very specific religious uh, expressions. So based on your research, are UFOs those little lights in the sky that many people claim that they come from the Pleiades or some other far out planet across or across the universe? Based on your research and your studies, are they real or are they? A figment of our imagination based on the technological presence and where we are in today's societies with our stresses and everything else that goes along with day-to-day -day living. Well, I'd have to say probably both in a sense. Mm -hmm. um, on the one hand, you know, a figment of the imagination is real too. Uh, I, I know I'm playing with the words a little bit there. Right. Um, if you're asking, are they spaceships from Zeta Reticuli or the Pleiades? Yes. I, okay, I find that highly dubitable uh, for a number of reasons that we might get into. Um, I think it truly is the case that at the, at the end of the day, uh, I agree with Jacques Vallée that there is a, a hardcore, mysterious, real, physical phenomenon. Uh, what it is, is a very good question. Um, it is both physical and sort of uh, transcendent in a way that it kind of plays with the rules of, of physics in, in strange ways. 
Um, but at the end of the day, it's probably a, a, a great mix of, uh, as you as you remarked, um, our uh, technologically based uh, anxieties and aspirations projected onto um, things that we see in the sky, lights we can't identify. Um, and then amid all that is certainly something very, very strange um, that whose nature I, I, I do not know. Without any substantial proof or any physical proof, why do people believe in something that can't be proven? Well, that's a very good question. Um, I think the reason is going to be a, a kind of a psychological or emotional mm -hmm. reason. Um, unconsciously, what's happening here is that we see ourselves. We see what we want to be. We see what we imagine ourselves to be in these stories. So in the 1950s and 60s, when flying saucers were landing primarily in, in Europe, right. uh, and the little, little guys came out in their diving suits taking uh, uh, soil samples and plant samples, well, this sort of uh, was an image that we were to see on the moon later and, and things that we imagined that we would be doing on Mars in the near future. Um, so in this way, it's a, got a lot to do with like projection. Um, that would be my nutshell explanation. Okay. Um, but, you know, when we look at the UFO phenomenon, we, we have people who then take it from just the UFO aspect, and then there's contact, then there's alien abductions. You've got the men in black, the the hypothetical situation where there are UFOs and extraterrestrials in Area 51. How did it grow so much? Oh, this this is a beautiful story. <laughs> um, that, that's a good question. Um, I, I don't know if there's an authoritative answer that mm -hmm. anyone can give you. Uh, the last thing it is, is uh, aliens with underground bases working yeah. with American scientists to develop uh, anti-gravity technology. Um, Stephen Greer notwithstanding. Um, what is the case, and you get this in a great book by Mark Pilking, Pilkington called uh, Mirage Men, um, is it becomes very clear very quickly that the American Air Force, at the very least, uh, picked up on the UFO mythology and began to use it uh, for various uh, intelligence ends. So, for example... Um, there's the very sad story of Paul Benevitz. All right, what we're going uh, to do here is I'm just going to hold you off here. I have to take my first break. And uh, it's a bit of a cliffhanger. Let's look at it this way, Exonation. Exonation, our guest this hour is Brian Sentez. He is in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. And if you'd like to find out more about Paul, vis uh, Brian, visit his website at www.skunkworksblog.com. That's www.skunkworksblog.com. And Brian and I will be back on the other side of this very short commercial break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. Don't go away.
Explanation Brian Sentes is our special guest this hour, www.skunkworksblog.com. Uh, Brian, before we went to the break, uh, we you just started to tell us a very interesting story, and if you would please continue that story. Yeah, it's a very well-known story. Uh, Paul Benevitz was a contractor with the American Air Force. Mm -hmm. uh, he lived near um, an American Air Force base in Dulce, New Mexico. Um, he began to pick up strange radio signals on his equipment and to see strange lights in the mountains near the Air Force Base. Um, he contacted the Air Force Base, let them know about this, um, and they told him uh, that it was actually aliens. Um, <laughs> it turned out that, in fact, they were testing very highly top-secret communications uh, technology. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so rather than reveal that, they fed him this line. Um, sadly, it uh, led to Paul Benevitz having a kind of a, a nervous breakdown oh, no. at the end of the day. Yeah, it's 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 a very a very very sad story. There's there's a book all about it whose author eludes me right now. Uh, Project, oh heck, Project Blue something. I'd have to look it up. I'm sorry. No problem. Um, at any rate, so I think that the, the stories about uh, crashed UFOs, retrieved UFOs, uh, alien abductions, and so on. Mm -hmm. This is a mythology that really only occurs in the 1980s and then with a, a fury in the 1990s. And it had a lot to do with apparently a kind of a, either a misinformation or disinformation campaign or a ploy by some members of the UFO community to make a buck. Yeah. Um, I've heard both stories. Um, and it's good. It's good. It's good. It's a good story. Um, you know, it, it makes it into the films now. It it's, sure does. Uh, yeah. So uh, I think that that's that's where that comes from. That's where these stories come from. And it's, I know that some people would disagree with me, but <laughs> it seems the more rational explanation. It, to it me. does. It does. But you see, rationality and ufology doesn't go together. <laughs> well, ufology, like a lot of uh, disciplines, if mm -hmm. we can call it a discipline, includes a lot of kinds of people. Yep. Uh, yep. <laughs> On the one hand, like I say, you've got um, uh, real hardcore researchers like uh, Peter Sturrock, who is a physicist, uh, Jacques Vallée, whom I tend to respect a great deal, uh, Jalen Hynek himself, again, uh, uh, an academic, um, and then other people. Um, I won't name any names, uh, but they're given to sort of more extreme uh, mm -hmm. uh, views and yeah. more fictitious views, to my mind. Um, it's, it's, it's as it's as a group of people, it itself is a very interesting topic for a sociological study. Um, there's a, a, a scholar in England who just uh, published a book, uh, and he hung out with uh, Whitley Strieber and company and uh, a couple other UFO and New Age groups. Uh, David Icke, mm -hmm. for example, is kind of an ethnological study. Um, that, that's very, very interesting. It's sort of sort of see what people believed, why they believed it. He was actually able to hand out uh, surveys to sort of find out some information. Um, so it's uh, irrational, but human beings are irrational, right, by their, by, their, by their very nature. You know, one thing that caught the American government by surprise when the Soviet Union collapsed was <laughs> the fact that they believed, because so many of them were born-again Christians, that the Russians were the Gog and Magog of the Book of Revelations, and they were going to lead to World War III and the return of Christ. So it's not just ufology that's got um, people with less than rational beliefs in it. Well, you see, uh, religion's been around a lot longer than ufology has been. And, uh, and I've got my own little 
idea of the UFO conspiracy. You see, I don't, I don't think it's the government that is perpetrating or maintaining a conspiracy or, or the church, the Vatican, or any other organization except the UFO community. Because as long as there's a conspiracy in place, they do not have to provide any proof because the truth is being hidden and suppressed. Therefore, the, con the, the organizational structure of the uh, ufology continues and cannot be debated. Well, the beautiful irony of your of your theory there is that if you go see to the disclosure website that's mm -hmm. run by Stephen Greer and yeah. company, uh, they have hundreds and hundreds of so-called whistleblowers. Uh, the great irony is that, first of all, look, this idea of, of a cover-up mm -hmm. and eventual disclosure goes back to the earliest days of the modern era. Uh, Donald Kehoe's very first book, The Flying Saucers Are Real, mm -hmm. uh, points this out. And he wrote a book called The Flying Saucer Conspiracy. Um, and so what's strange is there's always been this idea that the, the government knows what's going on. The Air Force knows what's going on. They're not telling us, but they're, they're going to slowly reveal it to us. While at the same time, you have this story mm -hmm. right, of the cover-up being told to Donald yeah. Kehoe by insiders. You have these files being leaked, being discovered, being released under the Freedom of Information Act. You have these whistleblowers. This is one of the worst-kept secrets um, in, in, in the history of the modern oh, all world. right, but let, let's be honest. In today's society, if, let's say, a country unfriendly to the United States wanted to have such an effect on the political, uh, the political arena and cause total distrust within the United States, all they would have to do is hack into the U.S. computers, find unequivocal proof that UFOs are real, and release it. But that hasn't happened. And, and I don't give Stephen Greer very much credit. <laughs> I, I really don't. I really don't. And all his little whistleblowers and all the little people who, who say that the government is out to get them, I, I think that these people need psychological help, not by the woo-woos on the Internet. I mean hardcore mental practitioners, because I think they have <laughs> screw looses. Yeah. yeah. Listen, I agree. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't think the whistleblowers are really revealing anything. Yeah. Uh, and if they are, uh, they're either they're either uh, well again, it's, it's hard to say. Yeah, it is. Either, either they're lying, they're fabulating, they've been they've been lied to, right? Um, but keep in mind, there was a very famous case of a British hacker a few years ago uh, who did were claimed to have broken into I think NASA and downloaded precisely the kind of information you're talking about. But of course, that's the kind of honeypot that if you were um, an IT specialist, you'd want to have in place precisely for the people who go looking for it. But we also know for a fact that China and Russia have hacked into the U.S. government computers. Yes. And they have released very damaging information. So, and I'm sure the U.S. is no better when it comes to hacking other countries' computers, that, you know, if they found the information that, let's say, Russia or China had, was suppressing the truth about UFOs, that there would be hackers who would release it. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. On the one hand, you know, uh, the people who believe in the conspiracy, they've mm -hmm. always got an answer to that. Oh, sure they do. And, and well, one answer is that the Russians and the Chinese and the Americans are all in cahoots <laughs> with, with the aliens. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, you know, uh, the Russians and Chinese or any other uh, unfriendly foreign power doesn't need to turn the people against the American government. 
Uh, one of the really unnerving aspects of this whole uh, story is the way that the uh, UFO conspiracy community uh, dovetailed in with the sort of militia movement, right, in the 90s, mm -hmm. the people involved with Waco and the, uh, Timothy McVeigh. Yeah. Timothy McVeigh, in the days leading up to his execution, watched the film Contact six times. Um, and, of course, the... the um, the locus classicus, as we learned people would say, <laughs> is, of course, Bill Cooper's uh, Behold a Pale Horse, Behold oh, a yeah. Pale Rider, right? Um, this book from 1990, which is the a nightmare synthesis of precisely this anti-government, posse comitatus, uh, militia movement mentality with the UFO alien abduction um, uh, conspiracy sure. theory. And that's still with us. But let's face uh, let's face it, Brian. Today, that sells. Follow the money. There is money being made by the people who, who write the books about government conspiracies and cover-ups. There is money that is being made at these exhibitions and these symposiums and these lectures around the United States and everywhere else. You know, David Icke has just released his film, for goodness sake, that's coming up. There's big money in ufology. There's big money in the para, uh, paratourism industry these days. I think there's more snake oil being sold today within the UFO community than there is any credibility. Well, this is very interesting. Uh, I think on the one hand, someone like David Icke is a very special uh, case. He's a uh, wingnut. I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, yes, yes. I just mean in terms of his yeah. commercial success. Yeah. That's all I mean. Well, Stanton Friedman. Uh, Stanton makes that, a killing. Did he make a killing? Oh, he's, he's retired now. Oh, he's making a killing every time he, you know, he's flown places. He's, you know, he's put up in hotels. He's, you know, his, his accommodations and his meals are paid for, and he gets a speaker's fee. Well, you see, uh, granted uh, that there are that there are people like that. Mm -hmm. I also, as you as you as you know, am a poet. I know right. the Canadian literary world, and for every Michael Landacci, uh, there are thousands of people uh, struggling and working other jobs yeah. <laughs> to pursue their art. And I think it's very much the same in, in ufology for those who, are, who, who make some money out of it. What's more interesting is it as a kind of uh, social movement. What is interesting, I'm reading uh, uh, Kripal's and, or Kripal, I don't know his, how to pronounce his name, uh, Creepals and uh, Stryber's Supernatural. All right, super we've got to right take now. that break again, so please stand by. Exonation yeah. Brian Sentes is our special guest this hour. If you'd like to find out more about Brian, visit his website at www.skunkworksblog.com. Don't forget the X Chronicles newspaper is available for one and all online with our compliments at www.xchroniclesnewspaper.com to find out all about the Exxon Broadcast Network and our 24-7, 365 broadcast schedule. Go to www.xzbn.net and around the world on the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV Channel 21. I'm Rob McConnell. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away.
Welcome back, everyone. Brian Sentes is our special guest. His website is skunkworksblog.com. You know, speaking about David Icke, not only does he have his movie coming out, uh, I believe the trailer is available, and he's going to be uh, hitting the theaters uh, in the very near future. I, I remember doing my show from, uh, let me see, uh, News Talk 610, CKTB in St. Catharines, where I was the executive producer of programming. And I would do the, the X-Zone uh, from 10 o'clock at night to 2 o'clock in the morning over there. And David Icke was going to be a, a guest on my show. I had the Niagara Regional Police contact me to see if he was going to be actually in St. Catharines. And I said, no one's going to be a telephone interview. And I said uh, to the officer, I said, is there a problem? He said, if there wasn't a problem, I would not be calling you. <laughs> okay. I said, no, sir, it's going to be a telephone interview. And he said, all right, um, you know, we just want to make sure. Well, I came to the station about an hour and a half prior to my show, and there was an unmarked police car with two police detectives in front of the station for the duration of the show. Interesting. Um, I do know that he was recently barred from speaking in Australia yeah. because of um, uh, supposed anti-Semitic remarks. Mm -hmm. His 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 anti-Semitism anti is is questionable and problematic. Um, but he sells. He's making money with this. Yes. It's a shtick. And yes. you, know, you know, earlier you were talking about how hard authors work. And there's, you know, that you've got the odd author who, who makes it, and then you've got thousands who don't. And my heart goes out to them because I know for a fact there are a lot of great authors out there who don't get the break they need. However, in the UFO community, there are dedicated TV channels spreading their, 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 their work, creating the demand for these speakers, creating the demand for their books, creating their de the demand for them to have public appearances. Authors don't have that. Well, we, we do, but not in quite the same way, because our medium mm -hmm. is a little old-fashioned in that regard. Um, although, on the other hand, I mean, just to, to quickly remark, sure. there are yeah. some poets, uh, Instagram poets is what they're called, uh, and they publish their work online, and they have sales of their poetry books in literally in the millions. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they're very rare again, and yeah. that's because of a, a, media, a media shift. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, though, I mean, on the one hand, you're perfectly correct. There is uh, this sort of commodity side, right? yeah. this commercial side of the ufological, um, which I must, I, I have to argue, it, at the end of the day, it pales compared to the kind of money that men in black <laughs> or... Uh, but it, but uh, yeah, I, 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 I understand, in, right? but, but Hollywood uh, is all part of the media. And when Hollywood produces something, there's a lot of spinoffs. And a lot of these spinoffs can be found in today's UFO community. Like oh, yes. Daryl Sims, uh, let me see who else can, uh, you know, and people like Sims, uh, and, and I could go on and on. I've been doing this show now for 30 years, five nights a week, four hours a night. You know, it's, it's and I, people say, well, Rob, how come you do your show if you don't believe? I'm looking for the truth. Yes. Plain and simple. If it's there, let's find it. If not, let's expose it. Well, the, you know, the, what's interesting for me is that is it, is the truth is the social phenomenon. Exactly. Right? That, that's what's really quite striking. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, right, following Jacques Vallée and yeah. others, like Peter Sturrock, um, hardcore physicists who've uh, done, done their homework, mm -hmm. there, there is sometimes some real physical phenomenon at work. 
which is poorly understood. One can even point to the Hestalen lights in, in Scandinavia, which has been studied, but we're no near uh, understanding what's going on there. Right. But of course, for me, at the end of the day, what's interesting is precisely uh, the, 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 the social interest. Why does this sell? Why has this grabbed um, our imaginations now increasingly in a worldwide way? And even more so, as I was referring earlier to uh, the book by Whitley Strieber and Jeffrey, you know how his name is pronounced? I'm sorry. Kripal? No, I don't. I'll call him, I'll call him Jeffrey Kripal. He's a scholar of religion. It's the supernatural. Why the unexplained is real. Mm. Um, and Whitley Strieber remarks about the, the, the hundreds of thousands of letters he received uh, from people who claim to have had the same experiences that he claims to have had. But once again, the number of letters that he claims to have received were never authenticated. I grant. But what is the case is that even a Gallup poll mm-hmm, will mm-hmm. reveal that most people, you know, believe, right, how seriously or not, that, you know, half of people believe that Flying saucers are spaceships from outer space, and there are non-human intelligences but, in the universe, some of which are are interacting with us. But we all and know this is interesting. We all know that any poll can be skewed to give any result that the pollster wants. Okay, now on the one hand, you're perfectly correct. I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at the questions that are asked and yep. the assumptions that are behind the questions, there's a lot of head scratching and brow furrowing that that we can do. Sure. On the other hand, I think it is the case that this kind of response has been fairly consistent since the earliest days of the phenomenon, uh, especially in the United States. Uh, Europe is a little different, but not that different. Um, and if it weren't the case that these stories were so compelling in their own way, then the E.T. wouldn't be as ubiquitous as it is. But we can say the same thing about Santa Claus at Christmas time, the Easter bunny at Easter, the leprechauns uh, on uh, St. Patrick's Day. You know, well, the list goes on and on and on. Once yeah, again, it's, 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 it's a sociological event that is based on no proof. Oh, well, why, why does it have to be based on proof? Well, because how do you know there's, if it's there's real? There's more, there's more proof for UFOs than there is for Santa Claus. Where's the proof? I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry for your... For where, your where, where's the proof? Where's the proof? Yeah. <laughs> All the stories that have been have come out um, over the past decades. That's not the proof. Photographs, the photographs, fake or, or not fake. Yeah. Good question. Um, the, the will to believe is much stronger for these things. And keep in mind that the ET and the UFO is with us year round, as opposed mm-hmm. to Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny who visit us once a year. Um, as well, them leprechauns, mm-hmm. uh, they are, you know, arguably part and parcel of the same phenomenon. Well, um, and I'm not that. the first one to make that point. Uh, you see, I don't buy it. I really don't. <laughs> be, be, as, as an ex-police detective, mm-hmm. I want facts. I don't go on hearsay evidence because anybody can concoct these stories to give themselves a little bit of fame. Hey, Joe, you know what I saw the other night? My wife and I were driving along the shore, uh, lake shore in Toronto. We looked up in the sky and, my God, Joe, there was a UFO. We saw it, Joe. It was round. There were little lights. There were people inside. We saw this, Joe. Mm-hmm. The story starts. Well, wait. On the one hand, some people will say that, will make up that story for the sake of making up that story. Mm -hmm. But do you believe that everyone who tells such a story 
is merely uh, making up a story for the sake of making up a story? What I believe is that they are seeing something they cannot explain. Therefore, they create their own scenario based on what they're seeing and bring it into the life and bring it into the realm of their reality based on other information that they've heard of similar circumstances. Yes, absolutely. Right. Uh, what, what you're putting forward here, ufologists call the psychosocial hypothesis. Mm -hmm. um, and it's for this reason that in the 1890s, right, there were strange lights in the sky over California. Yeah. And people thought they were, quote unquote, airships. Yeah. Um, you know, people will see a strange ball of light, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. to some people it will be a, a, a UFO, other people that might be an angel, yeah. other people that might be a ghost, and so on. On the other hand, um, if you think back to the uh, Fatima event of 1917, mm -hmm, when mm -hmm. thousands of people all saw an event, mm -hmm, all mm -hmm. saw something, mm -hmm. Uh, we don't know what it was. It's unexplained. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and the, the more responsible, I guess, among us would, would, would leave it there. So, well, it's unexplained. But it bears a tremendous resemblance to uh, what today we would call a UFO event. There was a, a spinning disc of many colors. Uh, there was heat effects. There was what was later called angel hair. Um, and this was witnessed by thousands of people uh, of all walks of life. And uh, it was even photographed. So what, what's going on there? I don't know. Is it someone from the Pleiades pretending to be the Virgin Mary? I don't think so. But there's something happening there. And that, that's, those are the really interesting cases. And it's at the end of the day that those of us who, you know, look into the history mm -hmm. of the phenomenon, uh, we have to come to some conclusion that, you know, there, there's something going on. We don't know what it is. What is interesting for me is precisely what you pointed out is the way that um, we interpret it according to a certain uh, frame of reference. And that frame of reference is what's so important to me, right? Because it's this assumption that there's a, such a thing as, quote-unquote, intelligent life in the universe. Intelligent life mm -hmm. necessarily develops a technology just like us. So what we have in this sort of interpretive frame is this projection of our own value system. All right, stand by. I've got well, to take my final break. That. Yeah. We'll be back on the other side. Explanation, if you'd like to get more information about our guest this hour, visit his website, www.skunkworksblog.com. I'm Rob McConnell. This is The Exxon. And if you'd like to check out the broadcast schedule with the other great shows we have on The Exxon Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.com. I'm sorry, xzbn.net. And for all the programming that we have available for you on the Exxon TV channel, go to Simul TV, check out Channel 21. We'll be back as we wrap up this hour here in the Exxon with our very special guest this hour from the beautiful city of Montreal, Quebec, Brian Sentez. Don't go away.
Brian Sentes is our special guest. And first of all, Brian, I want to thank you ever so much for coming on the show. I have thoroughly enjoyed our hour together, and I want to thank you for the great work that you do. Oh, thank you very much. I've enjoyed it very much myself so far, indeed. <laughs> so far. No surprises. <laughs> uh, listen, Brian, is it possible that why ufology is so predominant these days is because people have lost faith in the established religious philosophies that have kept them going for so long? Oh, you know, that's that's a very, very interesting uh, observation. Here in Quebec, mm -hmm. uh, where you were, I think you were raised here, if that's I remember right. correctly, that's right. yeah. you remember yeah. there was this thing called the Quiet Revolution. Um, Quebec used to be dominated by the Roman Catholic Church mm -hmm. until the 1950s, and then it sort of threw that off. And now it's a very secular society, but it's also the province with the highest uh, number of new religious movements. Um, and perhaps the same thing is going on in general, as you point out, that the UFO as a kind of uh, uh, transcendent image, as uh, perhaps carrying euphonauts mm -hmm. who come from more advanced civilizations that have gone through the problems that we are suffering right now, uh, they're coming to give us answers uh, that we need. Um, they're something supernatural, although they're technological. Um, and so surely it is the case that with the sort of uh, loss of traditional religions, um, although that's even debatable at a certain point, um, but, but you're right, with the kind of more secular society we have in the so-called West, UFOs certainly serve of a religious function in that way, either in the kind of the New Age way that we had with George Adamski and so on in the 1950s with the Space Brothers, these right. tall blonde dudes coming out of the flying saucers. Mm -hmm. um, or with sort of people like uh, the E. Seti, with James, I think it's James Gilliland and so yeah. on, or Stephen Greer too. There's a weird sort of mixture of sort of New Age spirituality and uh, sort of uh, UFO paranoia conspiracy theory. It's, it's a very, very interesting and heady mix. Um, but at the end of the day, notice that we're simply projecting what we think we are beyond where we are. In other words... This has been my, my thesis for, for years now. Mm -hmm. The flying saucer is something technological, is a sign that technology will solve the problems technology leads to. And that I find a deeply problematic and deeply disturbing assumption. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because at the end of the day, we're ending up with a kind of uh, a sense that, well, if it can be done, it will be done. It also brings you to the point where I believe that humans are realizing that, hey, we're expendable. Uh, in what sense? Well, computers are going to take over. You've got artificial intelligence. You've got robots taking over uh, the, uh, the manufacturing industry. You've got yes. ATMs taking over the banking industry. Well, you know, that's yeah, what, the, yeah, it's true. I sometimes think the banks should pay me for doing the teller's job. Um, that's a good idea. I'm going to yeah, vote for you. <laughs> you know, the Raelians, they have mm -hmm. a kind of a political arm called paradise, paradism, I think it is. And they embrace uh, automation. They think that robots will do all of our work and we will be given a, a wonderful world of uh, leisure and yeah. uh, paradisal material wealth resulting. Yeah, well, I, uh, I, yeah, I, see, it's funny. I, I teach college mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. uh, my students, you know, they're, they're young people. They're yeah. 18, 19. And I asked them, you know, why does technology change? And they say, well, it just advances, you know, as, as if it's like the seasons changing. I say, no, no. It, you know why it changes? 
investment. Technology is not something out of our control. It's something that, and we were talking about this earlier when it talks about making money. Yes. Uh, let's talk about Bill Gates. Let's talk about Mark Zuckerberg. Big time. Let's talk about Google and DeepMind and AI. Mm -hmm. Why are these things being developed? Money. Money is going into it for the sake of money. Um, and I think this is what gets occluded uh, dangerously so well, look, in the imagination of the UFO. Well, look, look, at, uh, look at GM. Their profits soared as soon as they went to robotics and got rid of the manual labor. You know, it's funny. That has been a problem since the Industrial Revolution. You might remember there were these people called the frame breakers in the 18th century. And they were called frame breakers because they were the people who used to do the weaving. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. they were put out of work by the power, power looms. Yep. And they would break into the, in, into the factories and break the frames of the power looms. So automation has been a problem for a long time. You know, we don't mourn the fact that there aren't any typewriter repairmen or VHS repairmen anymore. Um, and often it's the case that new jobs open up when old sort of manual jobs fall away. It's just that now things are happening so quickly uh, with the globalization, things are exacerbated in a certain way. And so we're a lot more uneasy about automation, especially as it moves into say the newsroom, right? There are AIs yeah. uh, which can write very, very simple sports stories now, for example. Mm -hmm. And uh, people in the humanities, people like lawyers, for example, are like AI because it can help get a lot of get rid of a lot of the drudge yeah. work that goes into it. But on the other hand, what happens to the people who want an articling position in a in a legal firm? Hmm. So it's 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 a it's a persistent problem. I guess we'll have to ask the people from Zeta, particularly or the Pleiades, um, how they solved it. Uh, two things. Number one, what is your opinion of Roswell? Give me give me an idea within two minutes because I want to get you to read us a poem. Oh, well, I don't know if I can read you a poem about Roswell, but I can read you a poem about flying saucers. All right, read us a, fly, read us a poem about flying saucers, then okay. I'll ask well, you this, about this Roswell. This is from the Work in Project. All right. Work in Progress. Okay, flying saucers. Tuesday, 3 in the afternoon, the 24th of June, 1947, Kenneth Arnold of Boise, rescue pilot, businessman, deputy sheriff and federal marshal, U.S. Forest Serviceman. At 9,000 feet, crystal clear conditions, alone in his call air between Cajalas and Yakima, an hour's detour searching for a lost transport. Out of the blue, a flash like just before mid-air crash made him look left north of Mount Rainier to see at 90 degrees nine seeming jet planes in a V pointed south. The echelon vaguely bobbing and weaving, flashing reflections 24 miles off, against Rainier's snows, tailless, flying the nearly 40 miles between Mounts Rainier and Adams, three times the speed of sound. The first crossed the ridge bridging the mountains as the last came over its north crest five miles back. Nine crescents needing to be half a mile long to be seen, flying that fast, that far away. So smooth, mirroring sunlight, like speedboats on rough water, wavering information, like the tail of a Chinese kite, wings tipping, flashing blue-white, each like a saucer skipped over water. Wow. A little faster than I normally read it, but we only have two minutes, so... Yeah. 
<laughs> thank you very much for reading that. And where can well, people where, where can people get copies of your book? Oh, that's a good question. Well, you can go to Amazon, but mm-hmm. I, I prefer you go to my publisher. It's DC Books. Amazon is evil. They use slave labor. Go to DC Books, or you can Google Poeta Doctus, P-O-E-T-A, D-O-C-T-U-S. That's my poetry website. And there's a page there with links to all of the books I've published. Grand Gnostic Central is the name of the book with that poem. Mm -hmm. And there's another book with some UFO poems called Ladonian Magnitudes. And they're both from DC Books here in Montreal. Quick question. Uh, What is your opinion of the, the, the alleged crash of a UFO in Roswell, New Mexico? I think it's a wonderful story. It's a wonderful myth. And I love the fact that uh, it's Rose Well. And there's a wonderful expression called Sub Rosa, which goes back to the Rosicrucians. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, no, I think it's a wonderful story. It's a wonderful myth. And it's part of this, what Jung called a modern myth of things seen in the sky or that crash in the sands of New Mexico. We've got about a minute and a half left. Uh, what are your final thoughts? What are your final words to the worldwide Exxon Nation tonight? Oh, well, I would say, <laughs> oh boy, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, I would say, come to my blog, uh, skunkworks, <laughs> skunkworksblog.com, because there I'm actually able to sort of set out these ideas in much more detail and with other links to sort of more pertinent information. I think the phenomenon is very, very important. Mm-hmm. It's as important as it is marginal and weird and far out. And it points to what's at the center and the heart of our society um, in ways which are very, very informative, illuminating, and distressing. As I said earlier tonight, my friend, it's, it's been a wonderful experience having you on the show. I would love to have you back on in the future so we can discuss further topics. Um, but for now, you and I must say so long before we do. Let our listeners give our listeners your website again. And why did you call it Skunk Works? Oh, Skunk Works is, of course, where uh, Lockheed yeah. works on its... Uh, yeah, that's why I called it, because okay. it's because it's a work in progress. I see. Right? Just like Lockheed. And your website, one more time? Is skunkworksblog.com. Brian, take care of yourself. It's been a great pleasure talking to you, and I look forward to the next time you and I meet here in the Exxon. Indeed. A plus tard. A plus tard. A la prochaine. C'est ça. Exxon Nation will be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Once again, if you'd like to find out more about our guest this hour, Brian Sentes, visit his website at www.skunkworksblog.com. Hmm. Are you a skeptic or are you a believer? Send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com. I'm Rob McConnell. I'll be back on the other side of this news break. Don't go away.